The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Monday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Deirdre Boso. Today, tech gets put to the test as a big week of earnings kicks off. Alphabet, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, Apple all on deck. Then Apple's controversial privacy settings go into effect in iOS 14 today. Why Facebook is arguing small business is going to be most inconvenienced. And later, Elon Musk precedes his SNL debut with earnings after the bell today. We'll tell you what to expect this hour. Deirdre. Well, Tesla is certainly in focus, up slightly this morning ahead of those results. And don't forget about crypto. Bitcoin showing a little bounce back of its own after a steep drop over the last week. Overall, the Nasdaq, though, lagging behind the rest of the market today. Carl, perhaps this is the calm before the storm. Uh, The storm's definitely coming. As uh, John said, the most important thing in tech today, or at least this week, is going to be earnings. We mentioned most of the lineup earlier on. But in short, it's the five biggest tech companies in the world, plus Pinterest, plus Twitter, plus Tesla. Apple, of course, uh, record growth or getting record growth for most of these names during the pandemic. But Apple, John, by some metrics, has lagged some of them. And I know you've been kicking around a bit this uh, this heightened commitment to jobs and investment in the U.S. Yeah, there's a press release out. And, you know, we always tend to sniff at press releases. I think they're doing a bit of a stretch calling this 430 billion and investment. But it is spending in the U.S. And some of these numbers are just important to let sink in. Uh, 3,000 jobs in North Carolina alone, billion-dollar campus that they're building out in the Research Triangle, which is an important technology hub, has been for a long time. But at this time, coming out of a pandemic, when so many states and communities need investment, that's important. They go on to list uh, a number of other things that they're doing, spending in California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Texas, Washington, Iowa, red states and blue states. This is a time when big tech is under a lot of pressure. And this type of uh, spending, I'm not going to say it buys you a lot of friends. It earns you a lot of friends, though, when you're actually contributing as much in tax dollars as Apple has been over the last five years, $45 billion in corporate taxes, uh, Deirdre, and uh, also building in these communities. Yeah, we've seen, you know, similar announcements over the years, investments in terms of jobs from Amazon, the tax story, a little bit different there. But, Carl, when you look at purely revenue growth and we take a look at the busiest week this week ahead with the five mega caps, Apple revenue growth over the last five years, 17 percent. You compare that with an alphabet rising 143 percent over the last five years, kind of puts it in context. Um, I'm looking to. Amazon as well, last quarter had its first $100 billion revenue quarter, expected to do it once again at a time when we're seeing some leadership changes over there. Andy Jassy expected or he will be taking over in the third quarter, Carl. Yeah, all responding to various 
dynamics regarding the macro economy, guys. In Alphabet's case, it's definitely, for instance, the ad market, the travel market. Amazon, we're beginning to see some signs, John, of e-commerce maybe seeding a touch of market share as the economy opens up. And then as far as hardware and uh, PCs and Apple, uh, well, well, it, it remains to be seen to what degree the enterprise remains a source of demand as these IT budgets get reinvented. Yes, indeed. And let's stick with this. Bring in Palantir co-founder uh, and tech investor Joe Lonsdale. Joe, I take it you're in Texas? This is my office in Texas, Austin, Texas. Yeah, well, um, you know, let's talk about Apple. Um, their growth compared to some other companies uh, in that big tech space, not as big, but hey, I mean, look at their revenue, look at their profitability compared to others. It is impressive, and they're investing outside of Silicon Valley, including really close to where you are. How do you gauge the importance of these companies to the economy, taking into account not just their stock prices, but also where they're spending? Now, you know, Apple is very important for America. This is why there's a bit of a dialectic here where there's you know, two different sides to this argument. On one hand, there's all sorts of abusive practices where they become a monopoly, and they could do what they want, and they could and they could really cause problems for people that are very unfair as a huge part of our economy. On the other hand, you want a strong Apple. You want a, you want strong big tech companies for America because if they win, it's, it's, it benefits our whole country. So you don't want to come swinging at these things in a way to hurt them. You probably do want to hold them a little more accountable for some of their sketchier behavior, given they're such a big part of our economy now. Joe, good morning. It's Deirdre. Now, you also said um, in our pre-notes that these companies are fine bets if the government lets them exist. Do you expect regulatory yeah. scrutiny, regulatory pressures to start to weigh on shares this year? I mean, we haven't seen much response from investors over the last few years that scrutiny has been heightening. You know, these these guys are really good at playing the regulatory game. When you're a big company who's that large and that, that successful, you're going to have thousands of lawyers and you're going to be really good friends with everyone running things in D.C. And so these, these guys are playing the game right. The question is, are the regulators courageous enough to step up and force these guys to behave? Are they, are they willing to force the App Store, which is clearly a utility for our economy at this point, uh, to have clear rules that they don't change on people so people can, you know, invest millions of dollars and then suddenly they change the rules? Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of ways in which it's unfair for small businesses, it's unfair for the innovation economy for them, for them to be able to have this utility and then just treat people however they want. So I, I think you are going to hopefully see the courage to come at that. And, and that's going to, and, you know, and, and hopefully they do it in a way that keeps Apple still strong because we want Apple to succeed for our economy. But, but, but not holding the big tech companies accountable, whether it's free speech, whether it's the press, whether it's these plat app platforms, it's going to be dangerous if we don't do that. Hmm. You know, Joe, I wonder um, if, you, if you've been thinking about the degree to which there are pockets of the market where valuations have really been hurt uh, badly in the last three or four months uh, in mobility yeah. and obviously SPAC issuance has come to a halt. But it seems to be masked by the continued enormous size of these giants in which money is passively invested. And I wonder if you think it's clouding um, uh, things about the economy or the market that we should be paying closer attention to. You know, the last 10 years, people, people get stuck. When the trend goes on for a long time, you get very complacent about it. The last 10 years has been extremely good for the big tech companies, the big tech monopolies. They've basically grown to the point where they're dominating the entire economy. And a lot of people are assuming that's just going to keep going for the next 10 years. You know, I, I, th I think there are there are areas where the moats are very, very high with, with these big tech companies. Uh, but there but there, but there are a lot of challenges, a lot of change, there's a lot of shift in, in spend and in, in a, in a lot of new areas around the enterprise that uh, the market's not really pricing in yet. 
And Joe, uh, we're talking about investing uh, really writ large. I want to ask your take on capital gains now, uh, capital gains uh-huh. tax hike, perhaps. Now, uh, some would say that if this hike goes into force, and I don't know if it's good policy or not, but that it'll destroy Silicon Valley. Do you agree? Uh, it will definitely it will definitely harm the innovation economy. I think there's a few key things here. Number one, like the way to maximize revenue with cap gains, and this is a bipartisan you know study, is somewhere around 28 or 30 percent. Putting it at 43 percent is just takes less revenue just to punish people. Uh, who are you punishing? Well, a lot of people you're punishing are the employees who are deciding: Do I go work for the big tech companies and just get a bunch of cash each year, or do I take a bet on a new company? Do I build something in the innovation economy with my skills? And and if you have a cap gains rate that's lower, then that is an incentive to go and help build something new. Whereas if you're going to be the same anyway on income and cap gains, you might as well go make three million dollars a year at Google, and it's and it's actually a much better deal at this point to go to the big company. So yeah, it definitely helps the big companies. It hurts us who are trying to build new things right. if you make the cap gains rate really high. But those big companies are also in Silicon Valley, so it sounds like Silicon Valley won't be wiped off the map. Well, it depends who you think of as Silicon Valley. The reason, one of the reasons I'm in Texas right now and not Silicon Valley is the culture there has shifted a lot, where you get a lot more risk-averse people. When you have higher tens of thousands of people at Google, Facebook, Apple, Oracle, uh, you get a lot more builders uh, building things all around the country. So I think you might really hurt the innovation economy in this country if you're not careful with the incentives. Right. And Joe, you're far from the only one that has left Silicon Valley over the last few years. Uh, Before we go, though, I do want to get your take on crypto. Um, You've said that gold is a safer value versus safer store of value, excuse me, versus Bitcoin. Is that right now? Do you see that being the case for the long term? We are seeing Bitcoin rebound sharply this morning. um, But of course, volatility is the name of the game here, right? We should be expecting this. Bitcoin is a bet, is a bet, Deirdre, that, that the emperor has no clothes, right? Bitcoin is a bet against crazy Fed policy. It's a bet against overregulated financial system where all the smart people are leaving the banks. It's a bet against a centralized U.S. system. And so I think Bitcoin's very risky. If you're going to be a retail player, you shouldn't call your money into it. But it's a bet that a lot of us are excited to make because this is a time when it's pretty obvious the emperor does have no clothes. There's a lot of ridiculous stuff going on, tons of money being thrown around in very sloppy ways. And Bitcoin's a way to opt out of that system. So a lot of people are making that bet right now. Joe, you know, uh, there seem to be tiny examples where it's being accepted as a payment mechanism in these small pockets of the economy. There's an NFL player today who tweets he's going to immediately uh, take his, his salary and, con- and convert it. Uh, is there, a, is there a, a corporate where if they did say we're going to accept as payment, it would truly turn your head? Well, you know, I think I think Elon said he's taking it for Tesla's, which I was which I was pretty excited about. I think I think that the bigger thing is turning my head is when I have friends whose family gets six hundred thousand dollars for their restaurant and then they already fired everyone. So they should pay their family and friends. And that's allowed. And there's just money being sent around like crazy with the policy right now. And, and the Bitcoin is, is fundamentally a bet against that system. It's a bet against the fact that we have a centralized financial system run by run by, you know, the crazy people at the moment. And so, so, so whether or not it's the last administration or this administration, a lot of us think that the government should not be in charge of this. And so that, that's why Bitcoin is so popular. It's why it has a really good chance of being something big. All right. Joe, that's good stuff. All provocative. And we, we love having you help us kick off the hour. Please come Thanks, back John. soon. Appreciate it. Uh, Joe, Joe Lonsdale. SNL, meantime, announcing that Elon Musk, as you might have heard by now, will host SNL on May 8th. This is your chance to get in the writer's room. We want you to tweet us at CNBC Tech Check with your best joke. For Elon's monologue, 
You can scan the QR code on the bottom left of your screen uh, that takes you to our Twitter feed, and we'll show off some of the best dancers later in the show. Who knows, John? Maybe the writers actually incorporate some of that. Well, all of his jokes are going to be cleared by the SEC, so it's going to be great. And now it's Apple versus Facebook, (laughs) but Facebook says it's actually Apple versus small business. That's next. Tech Check is just getting started. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. get a gut check on Etsy, downgraded at KeyBank to sector weight. The firm says it still has the best long-term growth story in its reopening basket, but taking a pause as Etsy's up more, well, it's more than triple in the past year and more than 20% up this calendar year. Well, it's become a major showdown in the world of tech. Apple's contentious iOS privacy changes, they are set to go into effect today with Facebook arguing They will hurt small businesses most. Julia Borston explains so much back and forth here, Julia. That's right, Dee. Well, so Facebook's critique of Apple's new operating system is that enabling people to opt out of ad targeting will damage small businesses' ability to reach consumers with ads on Facebook's platform. Now, Facebook says over 200 million businesses use its family of apps, warning that Apple's changes will cause a as much as a 60% decline in those companies' sales. But Harvard Business Review issued a report saying that Facebook's estimate of a 60% cut in revenue is too high. But Facebook is working with small business owners such as Lucy Kelly, who spent $25,000 on Facebook ads last year to promote her jewelry and crafting class. She's worried about losing customers. What this means is that I am either going to have to find a huge amount of budget and get in front of a whole lot of people and just hope that the right people are somewhere in that audience, or I'm going to have to accept the fact that advertising isn't going to be for me and my business simply might not have that as an option. Facebook is encouraging Kelly to build groups, to build up her direct email list. And Facebook is offering its users tools to support local businesses with the businesses nearby feature on Facebook, as well as its Facebook shops tab. It also has a small business hub to share best practices with um, uh, entrepreneurs such as Kelly. Now, Apple says supporting small businesses has been at the heart of the App Store since it was created to help developers of all sizes, to help them develop, test, and distribute apps around the world. 
um, saying we've recently launched the App Store Small Business Program, and for ad-supported business models, we have developed innovative free technologies. Now, of course, um, this all what, what ends up happening now all depends on how many people choose to opt out of targeting. Research from Apps Flyer found that 47% of people are very unlikely to opt in which means Facebook and others could be losing the ability to target over half of their audience. So, Carl, are you going to be opting in or opting out, or will it depend on the app? I I think in in my case, guys, I already am subject to so much targeting. I I think I would opt out. I don't know. John, you? Uh, I I just find it very hard to care about the small business angle here because, to me, it's about – civil liberties, getting to choose where your information goes. If that makes it harder for them to target, figure out a way to do it without, you know, sneaking into my, uh, into my data, Deidre. I mean, this isn't, this isn't complicated for me. Well, shouldn't the fact that so many users want to opt out tell Facebook something that they're not really giving their users what they want? (laughs) A lot of people don't really like this targeted advertising, right, Julia? I mean, that's sending a pretty big signal. Well, I don't know, Deirdre. So many people are buying things based on the targeted advertising. It means that the advertising is working. I mean, the fact that Facebook has been able to report such high growth quarter after quarter really indicates that people are responding to that advertising. So I guess the question is, if people start getting ads that are totally irrelevant, will they choose to opt in again and say, hey, I'd rather at least get something that's um, sort of vaguely interesting to me, Carl? That's a great point. It's fascinating. Yeah, Julia, it's actually a really textured and layered debate about what what consumers will do. It's our Julia Borston. Let's bring in Kara Swisher, talk a bit more about it, obviously, a CNBC contributor, co-founder of Recode. Kara, I wonder, you know, listening to Julia's report, you have to believe that even if this goes opposite to what Facebook wants, they're going to find ways to adapt, aren't they? Of course they are. Of course they are. They have lots of ways to track people. And the whole issue is, which Tim Cook has been talking about, is just track within your own app. And, and if people want to do it, they can. If they can't, if they don't. I don't think they have a particularly powerful argument with this small business thing. I agree with John on this one. Um, you know, I think what they're trying to do is say this really affects our businesses. And we, we've had this great time chasing you all around the Internet, off our apps even. Um, and now we can't do it. And maybe the jig is up. Now, we'll see. I mean, one of the things that Facebook and others have relied on for many years who are not as innovative as they need to be is they rely on inertia. And so people just are like, oh, fine, I'll just say yes. And I think that they may be more powerful. That may be a more powerful force than you imagine here. Um, I don't think people are dying to get great ads anywhere on on Facebook. And I think this argument about small businesses is a difficult one. And the issue is that we can't, that the only places to advertise are two companies, Facebook and Google. And so maybe that's the problem. And so there's all kinds of issues here that I think Facebook is pointing to that maybe um, maybe they don't mean to be doing while they're doing it. Kara, the fallback argument here from Facebook's side is that <laughs> Apple is treating third parties differently than it's treating itself. Uh, that that <laughs> you know users of Apple apps don't have to opt in to having their data used. I'm not sure... Yeah that that holds up because of Apple's adoption of uh, differential privacy and and the anonymization uh, of data within its apps. Plus, I think if I'm using an Apple device uh, with with Apple apps and I'm signing in to an iOS uh, account Mm -hmm. that I I have opted in, but I don't know what you think. You know know what? I think Facebook shouldn't have had such a, a, a bad phone. Maybe it should have done a good phone many years ago. Maybe it should buy a phone company. 
maybe, you know, lots of things. The reason Apple is successful with the people that use it is they like the system and they're in the ecosystem. I do feel like I'm signed into Apple when I'm using their apps. And so I don't feel like, and I don't feel like they're constantly trying to ping me for data and things like that. And I think it's really clear that uh, companies like Facebook and others are. And so just giving people the choice is fine. If people want to opt in, they should. But the opt in is the thing, not opt out, because opt out leaves is advantage Facebook or advantage anyone who wants to collect a lot of data. It's just it's just the way it is. And they just don't like the way it is. And they should if they don't like it. They should have a phone that people use a Facebook phone. And then you could opt into their system and be very happy living in Facebook universe if, if you want. <laughs> I don't no know. Lots of Facebook people love create Facebook. a phone and an operating system. Kara, last week I spoke to Nextdoor CEO Sarah Fryer that, you know, has a similar model. They rely on advertising. I asked her what she thought about the iOS changes, and she said, hey, we welcome it. This could actually give us a competitive advantage because we built our own ad stack. It was so interesting to hear another social network welcome these changes. Um, Is there, you know, other platforms that you think small businesses are now going to move to? Is this going to be sort of the most important thing to hit that Google, Facebook duopoly that we've just seen grown and grow? Well, I think it gives an opportunity for a lot of things is that you can you make your businesses based on what consumers want. And if consumers don't want to opt into targeting, they don't have to. I just I can't you know, honestly, I'm. I, Apple's got a whole myriad of issues, but when Tim Cook said that in that podcast with me, I don't understand why this is an issue. People should be able to opt in or opt out of, of data usage, and that is pretty basic. And they're they're sort of waving their hands over here about small businesses or waving their hands uh, on lots of issues of what or pointing out discrepancies in the Apple system. That's fine, but the fact of the matter is, Apple has an ecosystem and it wants to do this, and it will be able to do this. And Facebook is going to have to cope with it. And uh, I think it is it gives an opportunity for other companies to say, hey, this is how we're handling your data. This is what we're using it for. This is the benefits you can get from it. I, I'd like to hear the benefits from Facebook rather than everything that's wrong with Tim Cook or everything that's, you know, how, you know, this sort of uh, fear, fear mongering kind of thing. I'd like to hear the benefits of opting in. What, what do I get Facebook if I want to opt in? And what don't I get? And what are you doing with it? Why can't they just make that argument? It seems like they should be able to make a good argument about why that's we should you- use their system. That's such a good point. And, you know, Julia just touched on this. She said maybe a bunch of people will opt out, get a worse experience, worse ads and decide to opt in again. Do you think that that's possible? People will actually see what a non-targeted experience looks like and think, hey, maybe it was better before. Yeah, I think I want to tell me why you sh- I should love you, Mark Zuckerberg. Tell me why. Tell me why being with you is better than somewhere else. And that if he can make an, a case or Facebook can make a case, I'm all in. I'm not all in at Facebook. I would opt out in a second because uh, I don't trust them with anybody's data. I think they're, they've been longtime information thieves. So, I, you know, whatever. But if you can make a really good case on why it's good for me, I can think of a good example. Let me let me say a positive thing about Facebook. The Instagram ads can be very good. And very interesting. And I find myself interested in buying things I would never have an interest in buying. And I don't know why, but Mm -hmm. it's certainly effective. And so I don't know. I just I would like just a little more control. That's all. And I think that's not a big thing for consumers to ask. And I think they're taking advantage of people's inertia and laziness. And that's kind of gross. I mean, just like give people the information. They make their decisions. And then you have a business. Sounds sounds good to me. But but Kara. Take off your consumer hat for a minute and put right. on your, your recode hat, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to the degree you are trying to reach new users and visitors to the conference and what have you, how would you adjust if we saw big, big portions of the population opt out? I, 
I think it's a big problem that two companies control all of online advertising. I wish the regulators would get involved with that issue. That's an important issue that people don't have choices. Everyone I talk to that has a business and wants to do marketing is like, ugh, I have to buy Facebook. Ugh, I have to buy Google. They do not have any other choice. And they don't they don't love being there necessarily. They just don't have another choice. And that that's a problem. I think that's a big problem. I don't happen to, we don't happen to sell our stuff on Facebook or use it very much. So I, I, but I get it. That small business owner, it doesn't have a lot of choices and what choices she has are very expensive and that's a problem, but it's also a problem that she doesn't have any choices, which doesn't look well right. for and, Facebook and do you or think Google. The, is the, I was going to say, is the, and I would assume you agree, the environment's not exactly fertile for a third choice to come around no. at this point, given no. their scale. Uh, Unless in force, a forcing function by uh, by Apple or some other entities saying, hey, you have a choice. And then it gives the opportunity for other companies like, say, Nextdoor to say, oh, we're going to offer you this, this and this. And this is how you can reach people locally. That's a great idea. If I, Sarah's a really smart CEO, uh, that makes sense to me. Like, is local stuff? Sure. Local buyers on the Nextdoor platform? That that sounds interesting if you're using that platform, mm. which I use time to time. Uh yeah, no, and we heard from Deirdre brought us uh, some sound last week, a fascinating mm -hmm. interview, as was this, Kara. Always <laughs> good to see you. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Kara Swisher. Now, coming up, why Tesla fans are chessing, checking out the competition in China. And later, the CEO of fintech unicorn Brex, as they raised this morning at a $7 billion valuation. Check, check, returns in two. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check on CNBC. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, where we cover the biggest trends in technology and business. Stocks mostly higher. I don't know if you noticed, but the Nasdaq is uh, the highest since February 16th now. About a two-month high, not far from an all-time high after that. Chip names at the top of the list. Skyworks, Xilinx are the top performers. Viacom, CBS is a bit lower. Uh, Moffitt did cut it, uh, but upgraded it earlier, earlier uh, to neutral from sell. Yep, and time now for a news update. Rahel Solomon has that for us. Rahel, over to you. Hi, Deirdre. Good morning, everyone. Elevator maker Otis Worldwide is writing a strong earnings report to the top floor. Shares are up about 7% and have hit a new record high since the company was split off from United Technologies last year. The U.S. Supreme Court asking the Biden administration for its views on whether Volkswagen can be sued by local governments. That's for damages resulting from the car maker's emissions cheating scandal. Shipments of recreational vehicles in the first three months of the year surging to a new record. First quarter shipments were 10% above the previous high. March shipments also set a monthly record. And the CEO of British Airways says that the U.S. and the U.K. have a, quote, great opportunity to open a travel corridor between the two nations due to their high vaccination rates. The comments come a day after the head of the European Commission said that fully vaccinated Americans will be able to visit the EU in coming months. So perhaps a little... Paris in the summer, John. I don't know. Sounds good. It does sound good. Nice to have the option, at least. <laughs> yes. Yes. And now, guys, let's talk some Tesla. Earnings coming after the bell this afternoon, and the street is split. Just last week, Citi reiterated its sell rating on Tesla, 
while Goldman stood firm as a buy. And that, after a rocket ship 2020, the stock was up more than 700% for the year. Shares up marginally for 2021, about 3% underperforming the S&P overall. Um, Carl, it, it's hard for me to know whether this stock is moving based on just risk appetite in general, something else. I mean, how do you, how do you stomach that 700% rise and then know where it goes from here? Yeah, I know. There's so many cross currents. Obviously, there's uh, domestic security concerns, uh, some new headlines about legislators trying to address uh, driverless uh, technology. You got obviously the chip shortage, D, is a big issue. And then you got China. Um, and Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas last week said that the market needs to understand that their position in China, in his words, are going to be diluted over time where local players are encouraged. That's just how it works over there. Right. At the same time, though, you've got manufacturing ramped up in China. You're sort of losing some of those Model X and S sales, which are higher margin going towards the Model Y in China. But you have to wonder if manufacturing and that ramp up really helps there. And, John, when you talk about Tesla becoming, you know, justifying these enormous gains, right? The bulls believe that it's more than a car company. And there's a lot of excitement, at least there has been, over full self-driving, that feature and could software really start to contribute, be a huge driver of revenue growth going forward. And you got to wonder, does the accident in Tesla pour a little bit of cold water over that? Not for this quarter necessarily, but for, you know, the year ahead, if mm. Tesla can start to really monetize that full self-driving feature. Well, I just want to go back to that point you just made about Tesla manufacturing in China and why that might matter. I think you're exactly right. Take a look at how Apple has fared. The fact that it's got so much assembly in China, the fact that it's got retail in China, it's managed to power through despite so many, um, you know, nationalist, uh, you know, other political types of headwinds that other companies have suffered. It helps when you when you employ people, when you're creating jobs, as Apple knows, apparently in China, as well as in the U.S. with this announcement this week, Carl. Yeah, well, uh, obviously, it's just just one part of the story this week, John. Uh, Wednesday and uh, Thursday nights are going to be crazy this week. <laughs> they will be. We will be very busy. And guys, speaking of Tesla in China, right, huge cult following there. But fanboys in China, they're starting to have some wandering eyes. So our Eunice Yoon visited the Shanghai Auto Show explains. Carl, Tesla has come under fire in China recently, with state media and the Communist Party calling the company arrogant. So we followed two Tesla owners at the ongoing Shanghai Auto Show to see what might break their loyalty to their beloved car brand. Xavier Zhang and David Dung are Tesla fanatics. They've come to the Shanghai Auto Show to see if any of the many Chinese Tesla wannabes can stand up. Do you like it? Uh. Dung works in finance, Zhang in IT. Zhang bought a Model Y as his first car and dreams of upgrading to a Tesla Roadster. Dung loves his Model 3 so much, he sleeps in it. <laughs> On their list, established car maker Geely's new Zeker 001. What do you think? It reminds me of a Model 3, he says, like that's the standard. Next stop, the ET7 by New York-listed NEO. The height is low to the ground, so I think when I drive it, uh, it will feel like a uh, roaster. Just like a Model 3. 
Some EV makers didn't even merit a visit. Xpeng was passed over because John doesn't like the company name. But he did find a car he does like by newcomer Wei. Tesla has problems with panel gaps. It's gotten better, but not like this, he says. That said, to judge a car, you really need to know how it drives. So after a day kicking the tires? They're all good, but uh, I still choose Tesla for now. You still choose Tesla? Yeah. How about you? So good. I think you need to buy one Tesla. So despite official criticism, there is a reason the Model 3 was the best-selling electric vehicle in China last year. Carl? That was a great spot. Eunice Yoon in China. Eunice, thanks for that. In case you missed it last night, Facebook's Oculus and EA uh, split an Oscar last night at the Academy Awards. First time for a video game. Well, you can read more about that only on CNBC.com. And also find out why GameStop CEO is not the only one walking away from the company with millions. More on that next when Tech Check continues. Time now for a segment we call Person A. Last week, GameStop announcing that CEO George Sherman would be stepping down effective July 31 or earlier upon the appointment of a successor. According to filings, his exit calls for the accelerated vesting of over a million shares valued at about $169 million. As you know, GME is up about 700 percent this year. Sherman's not the only one to have cashed in on the rally. Four executives recently have left the company, taking with them close to $300 million invested stock. The changes in the C-suite come as Chewy's co-founder Ryan Cohen continues to play a larger role within management, helping with the push-out of traditional brick-and-mortar retail, moving them towards e-com. GameStop did announce earlier this month that Cohen will become its chair following the company's annual shareholder meeting on June 9th. But that is an interesting development, D, in the way executives have left and taken shares with them. <laughs> What a time to be a GameStop investor and what a time to be CEO of a company that has grown, can we say it, John, detached from fundamentals. He gets to walk away without all of this actual execution on what people are hopeful of. That's left, I guess, to Ryan Cohen and the incoming CEO. It does raise an important question, though. How should executive compensation align shareholders' interests, um, customers' interests, employees' interests? An important question in this day and age. I mean, you know, it, it's it's stock and uh, the investors benefit. He and the other execs benefit. I mean, best deal ever. Hey, you get to walk out the door and get that benefit. It's probably uh, about uh, what 50x at least <laughs> better than what he expected to get. Speaking of meme stocks, take a look at Microvision up over 20% today. This stock is a click game stop as. The stock Wall Street bets and Reddit traders are talking about the most. That's according to data firm Thinknum. And Skills is higher as well. Kathy Wood and Ark increased their position and made a bullish case for that stock. Don't miss the CEO of Skills later on closing bell in a CNBC exclusive. That's 3 p.m. Eastern, right here. Tech Check is back in two. Tech Check is live on TV and it lives online. Every week we'll bring you a variety of exclusive content you can find on CNBC.com/TechCheck. Today, for my Fort Knox Digital Show, we dive into the backstories of three tech execs who managed to rise above personal tragedy and loss, proving the comeback is always stronger than the setback. 
Even people at the top who seem like they have it all figured out can get racked by self-doubt or derailed by personal tragedy. But the founders and CEOs who make it through learn how to overcome their setbacks and make a comeback. In these Fort Knox conversations, these three dynamic leaders tell me how they did exactly that. Now I want to back up. I want to get into your origin story. You, you, you as an individual before you founded all of this. I had a lot of doors slammed in my face. Finding challenge after challenge. They hired me when I was in my worst time. There have been a number of life-threatening moments. I joined the wrong company. I had to, to leave after four or five weeks. I was not successful for the first time in my life. It was really hard. At the mix of all of it, my wife got cancer. And I'm dealing with two young kids and unclear career path. My wife ended up not being able to fight the cancer and passed away. I was left to deal with two kids and it just took a long time to recalibrate. Take out your phone, scan this code. It's going to take you to our website where you can watch this full piece. Uh, and you can watch more original digital content, cnbc.com slash techcheck. You can also follow our show LinkedIn page and Twitter account for more content. Uh, there at the end, that was Gadi Shamia, the CEO of Replicant Deirdre, an AI for customer service company. And the way uh, another CEO uh, looked and saw his talent at his lowest point coming through that experience he was talking about shifted the way he, he thought about the importance of people and networks. John, I loved that so much. Rarely do we get to spend a lot of time on that human element and the resiliency that entrepreneurs at the earliest stages, even the late stages, as we've seen over the last year, need to have when they grow their businesses or keep their businesses alive. So uh, definitely check that out, uh, that longer Fort Knox. Still to come on the show, a new fintech approaches Decacorn status. The CEO is next. Plus, listen to us on the go anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. More tech check right after this. Called by some a startup enemy of Wall Street, fintech unicorn Brex is expanding into an all-in-one service after notching a new valuation of more than $7 billion. Joining us to discuss CEO Enrique Dubugras. Enrique, good morning and thanks for being with us. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. And it's great to see you again. So very frothy times right now in the startup world. Let me tell you a few stats. Average valuation for late stage startups, $1.6 billion. Deals are larger. They're happening faster. Your customers are all startups. So if the environment cools, some of them fail, which they inevitably will. What is Brex's risk? How are you hedged for that? Look, Brex today um, serves not only tech startups, but any business in the U.S. We have customers going from early stage startups all the way to mid-market traditional companies in, in the Midwest, right? So we're, we're definitely hedged against any kind, anything that happens in, in tech. And also, I think one thing that um, helps us in that is the fact that we're not only on a credit card anymore. We have now Brex Card and Brex Cash, which is you know, uh, our corporate credit card and business cash management account. But today we're also launching Brex Premium, which is a software layer on top of Brex Card and Brex Cash, in which you can have spend management tools and bill pay integrated with Brex. So, for example, today you could replace your Chase business account, your Amex corporate card, your bill.com, or your Expensify and concur with Brex in one place. So because of that, we're also a lot less um, have a lot less credit risk because there's a lot more products that our customers are, are, are using as well. 
Right. That's a good point. But you're also not the only one to do this. We're seeing an increasing number of fintechs expand into other financial services. As you do so, you're coming up against kind of behemoths in the space like Square and PayPal, but also traditional banks. What's the ultimate ambition here? Will you guys seek a bank charter potentially? We, we, we have applied for a, a bank charter in Utah, but the, the vision for Brex is creating what we call all-in-one finance for businesses. What we wanted to do is maximize the power of every dollar that flows through your business with the goal to reduce unnecessary spend and time away from your core business, right? So we want you to spend time doing what you do best instead of worrying about finance by creating this all-in-one integrated solution. The traditional solutions of the players that you mentioned are very segregated. You have to integrate five, six companies for a small business or a medium-sized business to run efficiently. We want to do all of that in one single place. The way this plays out in the market, sales and marketing often tends to be a big defining expense. You can get around that with the right partnerships. Uh, oftentimes, these spaces consolidate, and the more powerful players end up buying up smaller ones and getting their customers that way. Uh, what do you expect to happen? Well, if you just look at the banking market in general, it's not an extremely concentrated place, right? And um, there are many, many banks in the U.S. that, you know, have like really large market caps because they're really good at serving certain niches better than the big banks. And I think that's something normal for a market. It's not a winner takes all market. And but the, the way we're um, approaching it is by not only doing the banking um, kind of banking services. Right. We, we do corporate cards and business cash management accounts but also software products on top of it. And I think that generates like a big differentiation that's really hard for the legacy players to, to do because it's really hard for them to build technology. What we've done at Brex is we basically rebuild the entire core stack from scratch. We don't use any kind of legacy software or you know, old bank software. We built everything from the ground up with the most modern technology. And that allows us to innovate and keep building products while traditional players stay stagnant. You said software products on top. Can you give us a couple of examples? So the two ones that we're launching today is spend management and bill pay. What that means is, for example, it's super easy for you to know exactly where every dollar of your business is going. No matter it's through wires, ACH checks and cards, we can detect unusual alerts. So, for example, if someone is spending too much somewhere and it skips the eye of a manager, we automatically flag that. Or you can get like real-time reporting into your business and know exactly where your money is going. Um, in real time without depending. And also you can pay your bills through email. You can just forward uh, your invoice to bills at brex.com and boom, we, we can get that bill paid for you. You don't have to go in manually do it yourself. Enrique, quick last question. Traditional banks and fintech for years, they've liked to say that they are partners, they work in cooperation. But recently there's been more tension. Jamie Dimon calling for more regulation of the sector. How is that relationship evolving between fintechs and banks, traditional ones? I I think there are two types of banks, the ones that understand that they want to partner with fintechs. And we have an amazing relationship with our partner banks, and we're super grateful to them. And there's the ones that they just want to compete, and there's not a lot of collaboration. You know, and with those banks, it's, it's more of a competitive state. I think what's happening now is, for example, today we're announcing our Series D, which is a $425 million raise from Tiger Global. And... We now have enough capital to go head ahead with a lot of these these larger banks versus fintechs, I think, in the past uh, did not have enough capital mm. to, to go against the banks. And I think that's changing now. Right. We're seeing those valuations get higher and higher. Enrique, thank you so much for being with us. Enrique Dubucra, CEO of Brex.
Thank you so much. After the break, Disney Plus sends its customers an unfortunate email. Plus, some ideas for Elon Musk's SNL monologue when Tech Check comes back. One more thing before we go. Some Disney Plus subscribers will have an extra 10 bucks in their pocket this year after the company accidentally hit send on an email before proofreading. The wrong pricing info went out to a limited number of subs, and now those customers will get a price hike freeze on their accounts for the year at $69.99. By the way, speaking of streaming, is this the new carriage dispute? Roku says they might drop YouTube TV from their app because of what they call anti-competitive and predatory behavior. That is definitely raising some eyebrows today, Dee. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's getting hot out there. Yeah. Disney will be back for their money Though, D, I mean, you know, they, they charge for enough things. Uh, I think they're going to get it. I was going to say $10 back in my pocket with the amount of money that I spend on streaming. Sure, I'll take it. Uh, meanwhile, guys, we have to reveal the best answers to our crowdsource earlier. It was a good one. We asked for your best joke to add to Elon Musk's SNL monologue in a few weeks. One viewer writing, so a 40-year-old meme lord and a Dogecoin walk into a bar, dot, dot, dot. Ivan McKay poking fun at the volatility in the crypto assets, saying, quote, we now sell Tesla cars for 1.5 Bitcoin. Oh, wait, now it's 1.6. No, I mean 1.7. Or you could go the other way, Ivan, uh, based on recent action. <laughs> a few more responses that made us laugh, but they are not safe for our air, Carl. So we will just have to, John, tune in. And I can't wait for that one. Guys, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have to curate, let's say, the responses we get from viewers, but we're grateful for every single one. Guys, just to recap uh, the story we led with at the top of the hour, and that's going to be earnings. Uh, tomorrow gets very busy with some industrials, UPS, uh, Lilly, 3M, GE. But then tomorrow night is when it starts to get interesting from a tech standpoint with uh, Google, Microsoft, Visa, Texan, and a lot more. So buckle up. A lot's headed our way. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.